0: How can we make insurance fair and ethical with ai this is benevolent bots discussions on a safer smarter future brought to you by lemonade
1: hey everyone welcome to benevolent bots brought to you by lemonade i'm thulsi an ai ethics advisor for lemonade and here with me is daniel schreiber lemonade ceo we're exploring the intricate world of AI and insurance, and today's episode is all about privacy and how to innovate with privacy at the forefront. Joining us to discuss all things privacy is the Global Chief Privacy Officer at Wipro. Wow, I use the word privacy a lot there. Visiting policy fellow at the Oxford Internet Institute, the co-founder of the Woman Leading an AI Network, and the author of the book, An Artificial Revolution on Power, Politics, and AI, Ivana Bartoletti. Welcome, Ivana. Thank you so much for joining us and for being here today. As I mentioned when we were, you know, talking earlier, our goal is to talk about privacy and the challenges in the insurance space specifically when we want to balance pricing risk accurately and pricing risk for each individual user with the privacy implications of collecting that user data and leveraging that data via machine learning. And so where I want to start is I was actually listening to some of your past podcasts, which were awesome. And in one of them, I heard you say something that I really love, that being a company that does the right thing by a user in terms of their data is actually a competitive edge. And, you know, you said something around the lines of like users want to work with companies or leverage companies that they believe uphold a core set of values around their data. What does it mean to you to do the right thing with the user data? How do you think about that? And and what does that mean, especially in the context of AI? Well, first of all, thank you so much for
2: having me. And for allowing me to talk of sort of my favorite topic, which is privacy. And uh, so I just wanted to share with you that at the moment, we have about 120 countries all around the world that have enacted or are enacting privacy legislation. And this is really, really important if you think about it, because it really shows that the issue that we are going to have for the years to come is going to be privacy and is going to be privacy in relation with what you were talking about. So, for example, privacy and innovation, privacy and personalization, privacy and efficiency. And I say privacy and, I don't say privacy or. And this is the most important thing for me, because a company that really wants to innovate and uphold the rights of people and the dignity of people is a company that is going to last for a long time. And this is because regulatory requirements are changing and all around the globe. If you think about from China to states in the US, to Brazil, to India, of course the general data protection regulation, but everywhere around the world, privacy very much at the top of the agenda. And then at the same time, innovation is very much at the top of the agenda. And that is because it's citizens, consumers, we want good products. We really like having the products that allow us to make our life easier, that allows us to really have something, a product which is tailored to our needs and who we are. We want these two things to go together. And a company that, in my view, avoids the language of trade-off is a company that does things right. And too often, I hear this sort of language of trade-off, you know, we have to choose between privacy and innovation. We've seen it during the pandemic, you know, we have to choose between privacy and the ability to trace individuals and so to monitor the pandemic. We have to choose between privacy and security. So, you know, we have to choose between them because we can't uphold our security as states and countries unless we minimise privacy for individuals. It doesn't have to be like that. We can do both and we can do both because we really need to think about as companies, you know, how do we serve our customers in a way that uphold their dignity as human beings? And of course, you know, there are different cultures, you know, there are different thresholds of what people feel comfortable with, but there are also values that hold us together, values around fairness in the way the data is treated, values about transparency, control to an extent over one's data. So, just eliminating that concept of trade-off and just saying, actually, we're doing both. You know, we are innovating and we are safeguarding privacy. To me, that avoiding the trade-off and talking about how we do both together is what I mean when I say companies do the right thing.
1: I love that. I, I love this notion of why do we have to say trade-off, right? Why can't privacy be a form of innovation in some ways, right? Exactly. Like, you know, building for privacy by design as as kind of the framework, I actually have more questions for you about trade-offs, but maybe before I do that, you know, Lemonade talks a lot about data and the value of data and machine learning for the insurance business. I'd love if you talk a little bit about how you see this, especially in the context of everything Ivana just talked about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually really keen to learn from Ivana because that's a very powerful vision you've laid out where you don't see these as trade-offs, but things that live hand in hand. And I'd love to understand that in a deeper way. And maybe I'll pose a couple of questions to you so, so you can help me think that through one of the foundational notions of what is fair in insurance to kind of bring you into our world a little bit is the notion of charging like risks like amounts so you and I can buy an identical car or computer or home and be charged different amounts because we the amount of risk that we represent is uneven and so we say okay we're going to enter the difficult world of predicting who among us represents a higher or a lower risk. It's very easy to assess what property costs, much harder to look into the content of your character to the extent that these are risks that are resultant of your behavior. So what kind of driver are you? Do you lock your doors at night? Do you keep yourself healthy? All these kinds of questions can impact what your rates should be for health insurance or for property insurance or for other forms of insurance. So The fairness thing here, beyond it being, first of all, charging like risks, like amounts is a solid business notion. Because if I group too many humans together, what I'm really doing is I'm inviting something known as adverse selection. Because within that group that is non monolithic, there'll be people who are subsidizing others. And that really means that those people want to escape and go to another insurer who can credit them for their good behavior and charge them a good amount. And then I'm left with an average rate, but a less than average group in terms of the risk, and then I go out of business. But beyond that, there are policy problems with that, right? I'm externalizing, I'm allowing people to externalize the cost of their risky behavior and pass it on to others that encourages risk behavior. It penalizes cautious people. There are a lot of reasons from a fairness perspective and from a policy perspective why you want to get as close to precise as you can. And in broad strokes, more data leads to greater precision, the more I know about you, the more I am able to discern whether you are similar or dissimilar to the person standing next to you in terms of the risk that you represent for whatever insurance I'm offering you. And again, there's a mode of, of fairness here and of ethics because I, I avoid using proxies. I don't just judge by gender or by credit score. And I start looking really at the content of your character to borrow the, phrase of, the famous phrase of, of Martin Luther King. There's a but, but I need to know a lot more about you. The more I know about you, the better I can price, the more precisely at least I can price, but the more information I'm consuming and storing and analyzing. So that's really the balances that we need to think through. But I want to add one more thing and then put a question mark at the end of it and throw it back at you, which is it's at least easy to conceive of situations where fully disclosing undermines the very thing I'm trying to do. So I'll give you a hypothetical. I have no idea whether this is true or not, but let's say that the kind of search that leads you to an insurance website is predictive of risk. It's not inconceivable that people who do a Google search for cheap insurance and people who do a Google search for good insurance represent different risks, and that is a signal. I don't know if that's true, but work with me on my hypothetical. That would help me in terms of discerning risks, and it would be yet another signal among many to enable me to give you a fair rate. But if I told you that that's what I'm doing, not so much that I'm gathering that data, but the way I'm using it, it would lose its, I would lose a competitive advantage and the signal would lose its efficacy because suddenly people who knew that that's what I'm doing could gain the system. Help me think through how I don't see this as a balancing act between two values.
2: So Daniel, this is really, really interesting. And there's so many elements to this. First of all, I mean, there is a legal element within this. Obviously, in different jurisdictions, in different what is possible for you to to collate and what is not. So that's the first element, you know. And in terms of what are the bases that you use from a legal standpoint to say to an individual, look, you know, I need to follow you and in order to gather Things from you, and then I need to ingest all what I find about you, and then you know, and and this is because of the ultimate aim, which is to provide you with the best offering possible to you based on your traits. So there is a legal element to this, which, for example, in some sort of, if if I think about you know the General Data Protection Regulation, would not allow you to do as much in terms of, you know, without the right legal basis, especially if it comes to special categories of data. So something that could reveal things like a particular medical condition or something similar. So there is a legal element within all this. But I just wanted to focus for a second on the concept of fairness, which is a very complex concept. And it goes at the intersection between privacy Non-discrimination legislation, and to an extent it's not even captured completely by either of those, but privacy is you know fairness it's a very classical concept in privacy law. you know you say you need to process data in a fair matter, but it has to do with the way you collect the data. So I think that you know there are two elements in the response to this. The first one is that as an organization, you have to navigate what your concept of fairness is. what do you think is fair for you? As an organization? Is it fair, for example, to reach a particular conclusion around the pricing of an insurance product based on some? a specific definition that you make of fairness but what is that you make of it what is, it, what is your definition of fairness because the definition of fairness has so many is very different you know it's different mathematically is different philosophically is different legally and teams speak different languages you know so if i say fairness in in statistical terms and, and it's very different from what a lawyer would understand around fairness. So I always say, you know, it's the definition of what you mean as your product being fair to your customers and being able to articulate the concept of fairness, both in mathematical terms and in legal terms. The issue is also legally, is also a- ethical and goes beyond and above the law. So the question that I would have for a company like yours is, have you evaluated the potential risk that you have In gathering this data about individuals and do some specific pricing around that. If, for example, you have a pricing which is efficient because it's based on sort of what you've gathered and also the historic data that you compare all this with, but is it ethical? And this is the issue because you may end up in a situation where, you know, where you, for example, are pricing a particular product based on particular behavior based on, on which is efficient for you, because that's what you as a company want to achieve. You know, you want to minimize your risks while offering the best to your customers, but that doesn't necessarily make it fair from an ethical standpoint.
1: You know, I'd love to poke on that a bit with a case study example. I think Daniel touched on this a bit earlier, but in the car insurance space, right, Traditionally, for example, gender has been a an attribute that people use in pricing car insurance, right? So they say, for example, on average, women are safer drivers, Therefore, on average, women should just pay less for car insurance and and women get lower quotes, right? And one of the things that has been a, a growing trend in the car insurance industry is the use of telematics. right? So the idea that instead of me pricing based on these attributes of who you are as a person from a you know gender or other a- aspect, I'm going to price based on your driving behavior. So I'm going to track, you know, how fast you drive, whether you're driving above or below the speed limit, you know, whether you brake really quickly or whether you slow to a nice stop. And, you know, I'm going to be a presence in your car as you're driving. And I think that is, it's interesting, Ivana, when you talk about like, what is your definition of fair? Because I think in this context, you could argue, well, okay, this is fairer, right? Because rather than me pricing you based on a notion like your gender, when I could be a much less safe driver than my husband, right? We're actually pricing you based on your driving behavior, which is the root of what should be your car insurance payout. At the same time, to your point about, you know, what is ethical, you are collecting a lot more data about an individual and you're collecting it on a regular basis while they're on the on the move, right? And I'm curious, like, how do you think about you know, to go back to to the word trade-off at the beginning, how do you think about that trade-off and should it be a trade-off? You know, especially if we want privacy and innovation to work hand in hand, how do we think about those two things, especially when I think this is a definition, hopefully, of a fairer product?
2: Yeah. So I think for the first of all is how you communicate to the customers, what is happening, right? So it's, it's how do you say to a customer what is happening, what kind of data you're collecting about them, And also, so being completely transparent about the processes and the processing and what you're going to do with this data. And what I mean by that is without sort of the marketing tone, (laughs) it means to really be able to explain to them what it means, you know, to collect data, which point the data is collected, where is the data going, for how long this data is going to be held. Because you know, there is an element of, of obviously, you know, empowering the consumer and letting the consumer know about what is happening. And the more that we're able to be transparent in a language that it is easy to be, to comprehend. So, for example, in a business which really wants to innovate, having very in- interesting new ways to present this information is really important, you know. So, for example, using legal design, you know, where you express concepts that can be complicated, but in a in a format and in an in a eclectic to an way so that the consumers, you know, can find it as some, even when they're driving, for example, or, you know, coming up on the phones and, and also saying, OK, we've collected now, this information can be deleted. I mean, having all sorts of more interactive way for consumers to understand what is happening to the information and to make an informed choice. I will never use a language that says if you don't allow us to do that, then we won't be able to price this right and we will give you a word. You know, it's it's that is the trade-off language that to me doesn't really work because then you are to an extent using the dark pattern methods, you know, the they're sort of nudging people into making a choice rather than saying to them, look, this is who we are, this is what we do, this is how we collect data, and then informing the consumer to make the best choice. So that's one. The other one is the privacy by design element. You know, you need to really understand and companies need to really understand, do we really need that piece of personal information or can we achieve the same outcome by actually engineering privacy in the systems that we use? I mean, in order to understand that consumer X, for example, has a particular pricing, do we really need to get into the information about consumer X? Or once we've got this information, do we really need to keep processing or can we, for example, use innovative tech, sort of tech solutions? So, for example, would something like multiparty computation work? Would something like processing data in, in a more distributed way work? Is there a way where, you know, we can, we can identify sort of processing happening in a more localized way? Things like on-device learning is kind of what you're talking about here. Exactly. Exactly. Can we find a sort of more interesting and innovative ways of doing that? I mean, what I'm trying to say is that if we really want to harness all this data, which I understand is important and can actually benefit the consumer, that that benefit for the consumer needs to go alongside an increased effort to protect privacy. Not detrimental to privacy. That is the key thing. So let's experiment with things like, yeah, federated learning or something, you know, that, that, you know, allows us, for example, to decentralize the way that we, we harness this information. And this is really, really important because it means that we can present that to the consumers. We're doing this, but we're doing it in a way that, and this is how it works. We can even present a graphics to a consumer to explain how it works. This is at a time where there is greater attention. We've seen with Apple. Once the sort of the, the consumers were given the choice of whether they want to be traced or not, the majority choose not to be traced. They made a choice. Yeah. So we have to take this into account as an organization and say, look, you know, I am offering a different way of doing things and I'm experimenting, I'm investing in privacy as much as I invest in personalization on my product offerings.
1: I think it's really interesting also, this idea of how do we communicate to users in ways that are more understandable to them? I think one of the things that I often struggle with with privacy too is you know, I as a consumer, I'm just as guilty of this where I don't I don't actually read, right? I don't I don't read the text that is in front of me. I just I press a button, I say accept, I move on. I, I actually have no idea what the company has just told me in terms of what they are collecting about me or what controls or, or opportunities I even have. I'm curious, have you seen examples where this is done really well, where you feel like as a consumer, you've actually been brought into that data collection process? Because at least for me, I feel like I I often ignore it until maybe it's too late or until I I see a flag of of something or a news article that maybe I should have paid more attention.
2: Yeah. And this is really interesting because. I mean, it doesn't happen by chance. You know, these things are designed in in a way and still they are deceitful by design rather than being private by design. And we're seeing way too many of that still. I mean, and I feel that there's always this constant nudging and, and you're pushed on to accept him because you want as a user, you want that seamless experience. You don't want to be interrupted every moment. So there's two faults to this. On the one end, you know, there is basically the, the sort of regulators are stepping up to make sure that you don't put all the onus onto actually the consumer, because that is the problem. You know, if you all the burden is to the consumer to navigate a very complex world, that is very difficult. This is why regulation, to an extent, are stepping up. You know, in, in in the European AI Act, for example, what is considered high risk is, for example, things that the collection of uh, the, the use of algorithms for the determination of something that can have an impact on sort of the fundamental rights of individuals. That goes is in that direction. You know, it says if something is high risk, it has to undergo. A particular process to verify that due diligence has been followed for that very reason, because we can't continue to, to then put the effort onto the burden onto the end users. So that's one element. The second element is there have been innovation in this space. For example, the privacy control rooms, you know, the spaces where the individuals can easily navigate through their preferences and being able to express them. Instead of doing this constantly, you know, they have a place where they can actually give their preferences and they remain and they can change them, but they are there. Or for example, I have come across interesting experiences with both in sort of state, in sort of government where things have been quite explanatory, but also, for example, in online shopping sort of websites and e-commerce where some companies have been quite good at presenting the benefit of, of you, for example, choosing to voluntarily provide some information about what you want and what, what kind of products you like, because then in exchange, you know, they want to give you, they can give you some receipts or some sort of additional value to what you're doing. But at the same time, say, we're not keeping this information. We won't keep this information at all. This is not for us. This is not the aim of, of the exercise. It's just to provide you for a service. So there has been some attempts that I see. And this is why I think, you know, investing in this kind of transparency and legal design is a uh, is is the future for me.
0: I do find this very helpful, Ivana, and the, the way of thinking about this. I do struggle sometimes. I'm a recovering attorney. I've been clean for 20 years, but and you do see how people trained in the law and regulators often go to very lengthy disclosures and they think that they're protecting consumers. And it ends up being written in a very precise language that is totally impenetrable to the consumer. And what the law often defines as full disclosure and giving consumers real choice, to my mind, does the exact opposite. And at times we have tried to simplify things and present icons instead of lengthy verbiage and stuff like that. And you do find people say, oh, but you didn't give full disclosure. And you're like, well, I tried to present it in a way that it was meaningful to the consumer rather than... Some lengthy text with subsections and headings and Latin and stuff, which makes lawyers happy but consumers not. But just to tie that back, I found your Apple comment interesting. Of course, I also say, do not track every time Apple asks me the question. And unbeknownst to me, I'm making a lot of products more expensive for myself because the question is a pretty plain question. And given just those two choices, do I want to be tracked or not be tracked? I'll say no 10 times out of 10. But what I I know as a company that has been using Facebook and other things to advertise, that our costs of advertising have gone up, our costs of customer acquisition have gone up, we're more wasteful in our ads because we're spending a lot of money on ads that aren't of interest to the consumer. And all of that just means higher costs at the end of the day of pretty much everything that we consume because of that trade-off, because we all don't like to be tracked. But I wonder if like a lot of people, you're, you're in the UK. A lot of people felt that um, questions like the Brexit vote, yes, no, simple questions to complex situations where you can't fully understand, and most consumers don't necessarily take the time to understand the full ramifications of the choice. How do you feel about that? Giving a simple, easy question with complex ramifications that you may not really be aware of.
2: Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one because I mean you can't take this issue in isolation, can you, Daniel? Because I mean, there is a big elephant in the room, right? You know, when you talk about Apple, I mean, you mentioned this sort of Facebook. I mean, there is a big elephant in the room here, which is competition, you know. So, you know, we we are talking privacy and we're talking about the fact that individuals, uh, they want their choice and, and all of that. But we are, you know, there is a big elephant in the room, which is the fact that consumers have got little choice because these are the companies that are there. <laughs> and so, it's 20, so what I'm trying to say is that to an extent we have we really do not know the extent to which consumers really care about privacy. We don't because we haven't been given the possibility to fully exercise that because we have little alternative to what we're using. And this is why what we're seeing, for example, in the US is a big drive on competition law, an intersection between the the, the FTC, Willina Khan leading the FTC. This is why in Europe we are seeing the Digital Services, the Digital Market Act and all of that. This is why in the UK, you've, you know, you've seen sort of the, the CMA really stepping it up together with the Information Commission of Office. This is why you've seen two disciplines that are different. Yeah, they are different. So if privacy is about upholding a human right and competition is about regulating markets and making work. And yet these two companies are see these two fields are seen as more intertwined and connected. So what I'm trying to say here is that more and more, you know, we are seeing consumers expressing their need to have a more private life. And private doesn't mean that they don't care about the others. It's the opposite. You know, it means that there is nothing more public than a piece of personal information of public value, but it has to be public value, not because it benefits a Facebook or another company. And consumers are increasingly expressing this through their choices. And we're yet, we don't really know how far these choices could be because consumers haven't been given the choice yet. And the other thing is that it's the competition element here. But the other thing that I wanted to say with regards to this is that there is a field which is growing really fast at the moment, which I think is important, which is the field of, for example, very relevant to you, which is the field of how you explain to consumers not just how you're using the data but how you've reach particular outcomes regarding them you know so for example, if you price a particular product and you price it at X, how do you explain to your consumer that an algorithm for example, has been reaching the particular result? And the field which is really growing at the moment is how to make that explanation meaningful to the user because the problem is that, All the privacy policies that we've seen, all the sort of, we have grown accustomed to provide explanations which suit some people, especially the lawyers would write them, but not the actual end users who need to navigate this. And the same is happening now in relation to, for example, algorithmic transparency. You know, we're looking at discussing about how to explain this to provide consumers and end users with some sort of responsibility and control and, and ability to even contest the decisions made. But we are not thinking about what actually what kind of explanation would my user want? I mean, how do I make it meaningful for them? So for me, the key issue is whether it's a yes or a no, whether it's is but how do we make this interaction with the consumers meaningful? So that really means something to them. And to me, this is the key issue and we're seeing this especially in, in algorithmic decision making whether it's in companies or in sort of more the administrative state but it's how to really explain things in a way that it's understandable for the lay user so that to me is a, is a key privacy challenge moving forward
1: yeah i think one thing that's kind of interesting ivana about how you're talking about this is i think when we talk about privacy often we talk about the binary decision of collecting the data or not collecting the data Right, And I think what you're articulating is not just the decision of whether you collect the data, but once you collect it, how do you continue the journey with the user after the data is collected so that they understand how you're using it, so that they have insight into that and then insight into the outcome that comes from it. And I think that's often actually overlooked in a lot of conversations that I hear about privacy because the conversation usually stops at the, I collected the data, now I have it, as opposed to it being kind of an ongoing user journey.
2: Yes, exactly. And this interaction with the consumers is really important because explaining to consumers, and also keeping them informed and say, would you want to do this? Or now legislation like the general data protection regulation, they do cater for this. You know, there is this around repurposing. You can't repurpose without asking for consent and all of that. But it's really important to, to really understand that behind privacy and data, we're talking about individuals. So. We're really talking about people. I mean in, in the area of insurance when we talk about data, we talk about things that are very, very private to people. They constitute them, you know, they they make their them their personality. That is also a matter of how you present this to them. You know, if you the kind of information that you're after to qualify an individual as high risk or not high risk is something very important. It constitutes the person. It's not something that they can get rid of. It's them. So it actually as an insurance company, as an insurer, I would say by dealing with data, you're dealing with people. And therefore, it's, uh, it's really important that um, you wouldn't, you know, as I always say, you know, a, a piece of personal information is not just, a, it's not like my notebook that I can give it away. This is mine and give it away. No, it's me. I don't sell my arm. You know, it's part of me. And this is how I visualize, how I see data, personal data. So when you're dealing with this personal data by the individuals, you know, you deal with them as people.
0: That's really powerful the way you said it, and I agree with you 100%. I wonder then in terms of disclosures, one of the things that we've been debating within ourselves is, is it then helpful to give a very detailed breakdown of potentially dozens or hundreds, or in some cases, you can imagine even more signals that allow us to paint as robust a picture of Ivana as possible? As you say, you know that's really the business that we're in or, and do you take an approach that says, listen, we're kind of like your doctor or somebody who's really to whom you're opening up and metaphorically kind of, you know, revealing everything. Do we say to you, that is the relationship. Listen, when you join us, we'll tell you what data we gather, but it's, it's robust, it's it's expansive. We'll protect it in this way. We will use it only in this way we will endeavour to gather as much information about you as possible because that's the business we're in. Do you do bold, big, all kind of encompassing disclosures or do you atomize it and talk about, you know, here's a list of 72 things that we'll collect? Do you have any guidance between those two extremes?
2: I think both, yeah. I think there is a bit of storytelling that a company has to do around privacy, yeah? You know, you tell a story about the data that you intend to collect and what you do with them and in, not in a marketing way, you know, not to nudge them, but to really say, this is what the company does. And also lining what makes you different from say, a social scoring systems. <laughs> you see what I mean? You know, it's really important to say that because you don't want to look like that. So it's, there is a little bit of storytelling that needs to happen. And I think every company has to do that, you know, tell a story about who they are and how they handle data, and why it matters to them to do in a certain way. And then to me, there is also the detailed explanation that, you know, it's really important to, to provide individuals with the more detailed list of things that are collected. And then, of course, I mean, I don't know what, so what are the legal bases that you use or, you know, how you operate, but it's really important to me to provide both and to give the user the opportunity to then go and and also to challenge some of the things, right? Because, you know, if you provide a user with a pricing, then, you know, you will need to, obviously, you know, they will have a possibility to say, well, tell me, how you reached that? I suppose. And then you have to provide that information or even better, you know, to provide it as you go along, you know, to say, uh, this is how we reach this. This is and how you can, you know, how you can uh, challenge what we've done, you know, so it's the legal basis, make sure that you've got all the legal basis and explain it to them. You know, that's why we can do it. So it's, it's both elements. So it's both the storytelling, the very sort of nitty-gritty legal stuff, because that is important, obviously. And then how can the user be controlled?
1: One thing I've kind of been wondering about that I'm curious your take on to the point about like users being able to challenge or, you know, I think earlier we talked about deletion or being able to opt out. And we also talked about personalization. You know, when you think about a lot of these types of experiences, often certain types of data leads to a better experience in certain ways, right? So, Going back to the telematics example, presumably you're going to get a more accurate quote if you are providing certain types of data. Now, if you opt out, you're saying, well, I actually don't want to provide this data, so I am now comfortable with potentially a less accurate quote. And it feels like you have to make this choice between like a better experience and providing the data that, that you're giving and I guess I'm curious how you think about those choices, right? Because on one hand, it feels like when we talk about privacy, we don't want users to have to make those kinds of choices. We want users to be able to not be able to provide personal private data. But then in many ways, it feels like we're telling them they have to, right? Because in order to get the experience they want, they have to provide that data. And that, that feels like we're giving them a choice, but it also kind of feels like we're not giving them a choice. But that's the whole point, isn't it? You know, so it's, it's,
2: the issue here is it's not that we need to be scared about collecting data right? There is nothing to be scared about. There is something very important in data that we want to harness that, what we've got. The issue is what we're collecting this data for. The issue is how comfortable we feel, not just from a legal standpoint and sort of, you know, the legal basis of whether you use consent, whatever you you know—that's your legal basis for doing things. But also ethically, how much you feel that yes, okay, I'm providing a service that is beneficial to the individuals. I'm not being intrusive in the way I do things. I'm, I'm making sure that I safeguard the data in the process. I make sure that I develop and use all the privacy sort of engineer privacy as much as possible, so that I can minimize all sorts of risks that actually I don't. I don't really need to know. What is the the, what is the consumer? What is my client doing? Because all the information are kept somewhere else. So I don't need to know. And this is really important, I think, for consumers. That would be a really interesting step. You know, so I don't know it. But also, I think it's also saying to telling that story in, in, in a way that consumers can make their choice. And we have a duty to allow consumers to make their choice. And the way that we make their choice is not by nudging them into one. We don't. We can't nudge individuals to say, look, if you don't give us the data, you're going to get a crap service. But if you give us all your data, you're going to get a fantastic service. That's not the point. The point is the focus is on the organization. The focus is on the company and on the user and saying, this is what we are, this is what we do, these are the legal basis that we use, this is why we do what we do, and this is how we protect your data. And then coming to the user is that, Sort of use it to, to be able to, to to make a choice that is informed and uh, and not feel that is actually tricked into having to accept the terms and conditions because otherwise they're not going to get your fantastic service
1: this has been amazing thank you so much Ivana for taking the time I think uh, lots of really great learnings in terms of how to actually design and build a product that is privacy first so I'm hoping that that is helpful to all of our listeners. But also, I think also just a lot of power phrases, I think in this conversation, you know, inspiration for how to shape company values around privacy, which I, which I also really love. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Ivana for taking the time to chat with us today about the nuances of privacy in new data-driven spaces. We also want to thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening and you've enjoyed the show, think about leaving us a review. It really helps us out and makes sure that even more people can discover this show. Please make sure to also subscribe while you're at it. Thanks again for listening. This has been Benevolent Bots, exploring the intricate world of AI and insurance, brought to you by Lemonade.